So here's, here's a question I would love for you to consider. Uh, do you ever look around at the broken and chaotic world around us as a believer and just say, I wish Jesus would just come already? How many of you, how many, let me ask you, how many of you ever think that? Awesome. Can I ask you another question? How many of you have a loved one that to the best of your knowledge is not a believer in Jesus? So then I would ask you to hold this intention. Hold this intention. If Jesus comes back today to set this chaotic world where it needs to be, how do we feel about the fact that if Jesus comes back today, our loved ones won't have a chance to turn to him? I think there's a tension that we feel as, as believers in looking at saying we want Jesus to come back again, but yet we don't want him to come back again because there's people who have not yet turned to him that we want to see come to his saving knowledge. And how do those two things come together in our hearts? And I hope to address that question today as we look into the scriptures. This is our, our third week in a series titled, The King Has Come. And if you were with us two weeks ago, we asked the question, who is the king? And we saw throughout the Old Testament uh, that that coming king would be of the family, he would be the seed of woman, uh, the family of Abraham. He would be in the royal lineage of King David. He would, uh, he would be someone that would set things right again. And, and he was also a prophet like, but greater than Moses. And then Jesus shows up. And he fulfills those biblical prophecies, yet because he doesn't fulfill their personal preferences, they reject this king and crucify him. And yet I find it so ironic that they rejected the king and crucified him, yet over his cross hung a sign that said, the king of the Jews. And then last week, if you were with us after the wonderful children's Christmas program, we addressed the question like, why do we need a king? And, and we, we saw that our way into the kingdom of God is not through our good works. Our way into the kingdom of God is only through the God of the kingdom. That's who Jesus is. That's why it was good news when Jesus came because he had made a way where there was no way. He had made a way back to the Father for those who had been separated from him. So we've asked, who's the king? Why do we need a king? Today we're going to ask to begin to answer the question, what kind of a king is Jesus? Because just having a king is not good news. There's many wicked, evil kings who use their subjects only to advance their own kingdoms, their own desires, and sometimes will go to great lengths to protect it, such as we see in the Christmas story, when King Herod tries to kill all the babies in Bethlehem because he's trying to protect his own kingdom. So just having a king and just having a kingdom is not good news. It's only good news if the king is good and if his kingdom is good. So what kind of a king is Jesus. For the answer, we of course turn to Scripture, and we saw two weeks ago how some wise men stood in front of Herod, who was king of the Jews, and they said, hey, where is the king of the Jews? 
Man, such a compelling question. Man, you're asking the king of the Jews where the king of the Jews is because they knew there was one who had come. And when Herod turned to his own, uh, turned to the Jewish uh, religious leaders, they said exactly where that king was to be born. If you remember, it was in Matthew chapter 2. They said in Bethlehem, and we know why, because Micah the prophet had said it. So they knew where Jesus would be born because a prophet had said it, but also there was something else. The Jews knew that this coming king would be like their greatest king ever whose name is David. Now, you may know this already, but David was the king who saw that he lived in a palace of wood, cedar, and he said the spirit of God, the glory of God, still lives in some tents in the tabernacle. And David went to a prophet named Nathan and said, I want to build for Yahweh a palace, a temple. Yahweh was so moved that he answered through Nathan and answered to David. And that's what I want to look at in 2 Samuel chapter number 7, if you have it. And I know this is a strange Christmas text, but I'll explain why in just a moment. 2 Samuel chapter number 7, and we're going to begin in verse number 8. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse number 8. Again, this is Nathan the prophet speaking on behalf of Yahweh to David. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, remember those words, my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. So Yahweh's speaking through Nathan to David, saying, you're going to be a great one. I want you to skip with me to verse number 12. Forgive me, I'd love to read this whole chapter, but we're just going to look at a few verses. Chapter 12, still speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, so wait wait, wait one second. Now now we're talking about not just a royal dynasty. This is an eternal royal dynasty that God is saying to David, someone's going to come from you physically who's going to have an eternal kingdom. And then one more verse, verse number 16. Coming to the close of this statement, Yahweh says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, now, we have to understand this is more than just Yahweh saying, I love you and I want you to know how much I love you. The reason this is recorded in Scripture is so that the Jews would know that this anointed king, this coming Messiah, he's coming through the line of David because he's been promised an eternal line. Man, David as a king was amazing. Under his leadership, it was the most glorious time in the kingdom of Israel. The enemies were defeated, wealth was pouring in, and worship to Yahweh was front and center. Under King David, 
Israel was at its zenith, but then it turns quickly. And in generations to come, they they turn from Yahweh and they turn to all the gods around them. Prophets are sent to say, hey, return to Yahweh, forsake the idols, worship the one true king. But they, they knew that the people never would. And so they also preached this message of hope along with that message of repentance. We know you won't. We know that judgment is coming because of your rebellion. But hold out hope. There is one coming, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Hold out hope. And as the prophets preached about this hope, they connected it to King David show you what I mean. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to show you a couple verses. The prophet Jeremiah, this is what he says. He says in both in chapter 23 and in chapter 33, he connects this coming Messiah to be a righteous branch, meaning from the family tree of King David. So Jeremiah is the prophet who's saying, we, we hold out hope. There is one coming. He is a righteous branch of David. That's exactly what happens. The New Testament backs this up because as Jesus comes in the New Testament, he heals the blind man after the blind man in Matthew chapter 9 says, have mercy on us, son of David. Wow, the reason he said son of David was because of these prophecies. In Matthew chapter number 12, Jesus heals a man possessed of demons and crowds gather and they say, Could this, pointing to Jesus, could this be the son of David? Because they knew of the prophecies. And as Jesus walked the earth, the question is, are you the coming king? Are you the one who are prophets connected to David? But Ezekiel the prophet, boy, he makes a stronger connection than even Jeremiah. Remember I told you to remember those words, my servant David, when Yahweh said them in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Notice what Ezekiel says in chapter 34. I'm going to read it, read it to you. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and Be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I am Yahweh. I have spoken. This is hundreds of years after David has lived and died, and now the prophet Ezekiel is saying, yes, the servant David is going to come. So far more, and he does it again in the next chapter, or one of the coming chapters, my servant David. He connects the Messiah and he actually calls him David. Which means, and it should lead our hearts to be like, so why is Jesus and David, why are they connected so clearly? You remember two weeks ago, if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about Moses and Jesus and how their lives overlapped. I don't know if you were here, but man, that's amazing seeing the lives of Jesus and David and Jesus and Moses overlap. Do you know how the lives of Jesus and David overlap? Both King David and King Jesus were born in Bethlehem. Both were shepherds of flocks. Remember, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Both were confronted in the wilderness, David by a lion and a bear, Jesus by Satan. 
Both were anointed by men who had miraculous births. David by Samuel, who was miraculously born to Hannah. Jesus baptized by John the Baptist, who was miraculously born to Elizabeth. At both of their anointings, Jesus is what has been his baptism. The Spirit of God came upon them both. And we're going to see that in just a moment in David's anointing. Both were sons whose father sent them on missions. David to deliver a message. Jesus to deliver a message. And yet when they arrived, both were rejected by their brothers. It says of Jesus, he came unto his own and his own received him not. They both conquered undefeated enemies. David defeating Goliath who had never lost. Jesus defeating death who had never lost. Both were victorious when they represented their people. David goes out to fight Goliath and all of Israel gains the victory by doing nothing. Jesus fights sin and all of his people gain the victory of eternal life through doing nothing other than believing and following in him. David was followed by a group of social outsiders. Jesus was followed by prostitutes and tax collectors. David was betrayed by his close ally Ahithophel and also a son named Absalom. Jesus was betrayed by a disciple named Judas and his own brothers, the Jews. And when Jesus hangs on the cross and lifts up the cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was quoting David in Psalm 22. The connections are incredible. But Jesus wants so clearly this connection to be made so that people see Jesus as the eternal king, son of David, that in Revelation... After Jesus is crucified and buried and resurrected and ascended, he returns to give a vision to a man named John. And we call it the book of Revelation. And some of the last words Jesus says is this. The last chapter, right near the end. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Wow! Come on! Now that's gotta, I don't care. If you, even if you don't really know the Bible much, that's gotta make you go, well, that's pretty crazy, right? Come on. But I also know that you didn't come here today for a history in the Bible. You know, most of us walked in today because our lives are filled with heartbreak and heartache and, and death and loss and tragedy. And, and we come in here because this is where we know we could find hope. Some of us, as we approach the Christmas season, know that there's empty places that used to be filled. There's broken families that used to be together. There's rejection and discouragement, depression and grief. And we've come in here saying, I know Jesus is the answer for healing. And that guy is up there talking about the history of David. What does this have to do with me in 2023? I want to show you why I believe that this really matters. And it comes down to the kingdom similarities between David and Jesus. And there's one truth that I want to leave you with, and it's not going to make sense yet. 
I hope when you leave today, this truth gives you a fresh, joyful perspective of walking out into a world where we want King Jesus to return, and yet do we want King Jesus to return because people will lose their opportunities, and it's this. The fulfillment of both of their kingly reign was revealed in stages. Come on, pastor. What's up with that? How does that help me? That doesn't even make sense. I get it. So let's highlight David's life for just a brief moment. And then we're going to turn to Jesus. In 1 Samuel 16, I don't know if you have your Bibles still open to 2 Samuel, but if you flip back a couple of chapters to 1 Samuel chapter number 16, I want to take you to the anointing of David for just a moment. 1 Samuel chapter number 16. We're going to begin, and we're just going to read two verses, in verses 13 and 14. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from Yahweh tormented him. Okay, so pause. Just Let's just stop for just a moment. A few things are taking place. A prophet, a messenger, shows up to make an announcement. And a young child was acknowledged to be God's choice to rule God's people, and yet there were only a few people who were gathered there. His parents, well, actually the Bible just says Jesse is dad. I'm assuming mom's going to be close. His parents and his brothers, remember what David was? David was a shepherd, which means his brothers were shepherds as well. So that means at this anointing, we have a messenger arrive to to declare that God's chosen over God's people was there and the only people present were parents and shepherds. Hmm. Does that sound like any other story you've ever heard in the scriptures? But something else was happening. As Samuel poured the oil over David's head and it begins to drip down his face, he was proclaiming David to be God's anointed. Anointed in the Hebrew, Mashiach. In English, Messiah. So as the oil pours down over this Messiah, the Spirit of God descends upon David. Can you think of any other time where a a man stood next to a, a prophet and his head was wet and the Spirit of God descended upon him? As the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We see these similarities at, at these anointings, and, and yet if we continue to ask this question, did David receive the kingdom? He was pronounced to be God's choice over God's people. He was anointed as God's Messiah. Did he receive the kingdom, though? I mean, no. Who is still ruling? A man named Saul who we just found out had an unholy spirit. 
So we begin to see just a little bit that the fulfillment of David's kingly reign was going to be revealed in stages. It was pronounced but not given to him yet. And if we follow his, his, his life briefly, after he's anointed, he returns home to be a shepherd. But then he's sent to the palace, but not to be the king. He's sent to be the servant of the king, Saul. And when war breaks out, when the king should have gone out and led his people in battle, he was hiding back and this young child shows up and says, I'll go fight for the name of Yahweh. And the king sends David out in his behalf. David wins the victory by, by, by standing in the stead of the king. And yet after the victory, he's still not king. In fact, what happens is Saul begins to awaken to something and he says, what could this child want more than the kingdom? And from that time on, he begins to seek to kill David. And so David, this anointed king, lives on the run for much of his life in those early days until King Saul dies. But do you know your Bibles well enough to know this? When King Saul dies and David is anointed to be king, he's only anointed over one tribe, Judah. The other 11 tribes are ruled by one of Saul's sons. So once again, David, this anointed king, finally is given the opportunity to be king. No, one tribe. And it would be many years later before David would be anointed to be the king over all 12 tribes. Finally, the fulfillment of his kingly reign is here. But you see, it came in stages. Anointing, victory, a partial kingdom, a full kingdom. Now let's look at the life of Jesus. We already saw the comparison between the revealing with his parents and shepherds. We saw the comparison between his anointing with the Spirit of God descending. But what happens immediately after his anointing? Satan shows up to attack. He's on the run in the wilderness. And as soon as he crosses that victory, people begin flocking to him and the chief priests and rulers begin trying to say, how can we destroy this man? How do we take him down? Until finally they place him on a cross. But on the cross we see this revealing again of the king because I'm going to take you to a couple of New Testament chapters. You're welcome to join me if you want to, but I'll also have them behind me. Here's what Paul says about the crucifixion in the book of Colossians. If you want to join me there, great. Otherwise, I'll have the verses behind me. This is what Paul says about the crucifixion and King Jesus. Verse number 9 of Colossians chapter number 2. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Notice this. He is, not will be, he is the head over every power and authority. And as we read on in verse number 15, Paul writes, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to understand what's being said here. At the cross, 
Jesus defeated the enemies that he had. Jesus conquered evil at the cross. Right? Doesn't doesn't it say that? Right? You agree with me? Okay. Here's what Paul says about the resurrection. Look at verse, uh, I'm sorry, look at Ephesians. I'm sorry. Back two, two, two books backwards if you're in Colossians. In Ephesians, again, I'll have the verses behind me. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to start just a little bit into verse number 20. It's talking of the Holy Spirit here. When he, the Holy Spirit, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. I'm not done reading yet. But you see what Paul's saying. At the cross, he defeated his enemies. After the resurrection, he was placed on a throne in the heavens and he rules over all power and all authority, over all dominion. And notice how how this verse ends. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So I need, you to, need, your, need your thinking brains for just a moment. Is Jesus ruling over all power and all authority in this present age? Oh, good. Thank you. I see some heads nodding. The rest of you, you're nodding because you're falling asleep. All right. You agree that Jesus is ruling? Raise your hand. Yeah, raise your hand. I know Jesus is ruling in this present age. Okay, great. Hands down. Then what's up with this present Present age. What's up with it? Why is there so much tragedy? So much death? So much disaster? So much hurt and pain? If Jesus is ruling, is that the kind of king he is? If that's the kind of king Jesus is, to have a world like this, I don't want to be under that. We have to go back to that statement. The kingdom's of David and Jesus were revealed in stages, which means this stage right now has Jesus' kingdom been completely fulfilled. So Jesus declares, and we saw this if you were with us last week, in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Jesus brought the kingdom. Look around, though. This this doesn't really look like a great kingdom. We're living in the age that many theologians would call the already but not yet of God's kingdom. It's already come, but has not yet been fulfilled. It's still being revealed in stages. You say, what are, what are you talking about, Brian? Think about today. There are some on this earth who have placed themselves under the kingship of Jesus, and there are others who have not. If we were to go up to the heavenly realms, though, where we know King Jesus is ruling right now, there is no one who has not placed themselves under the kingship of Jesus. 
When he returned and ascended back and took his rightful place and the throne of heavens, all of heaven rules, all all of heaven loves to be ruled by King Jesus. He is worshipped, he is adored. But here on this earth, there are some who still fight in rebellion and say, you won't be my king. But there are some, there are some on this earth who say, yeah, that's my king and I want to be a part of his kingdom. Guess what those people are called? The church. The church are the group, are the people who said, yes, Jesus is our king. Yes, he he will tell us how to live. We will live under his reign. He is our king. And Jesus says, those are my people. But there are some on this earth who are not a part of the people of God. In fact, Paul says in the book of Galatians, you don't need to turn now, I just want to show you. Paul writes this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Wait Paul, you're the guy who said he's reigning in the heavens in this present age. And now he's saying we're living and we had to be rescued from this present evil age. Paul, what are we talking about? What's going on? Let's go back to David. When David was anointed, did he become king? No. When David won a victory where the king should have been, did he become king? No. When David stepped into the kingship, did he rule over all the people? No. What was David doing during all of that time? I mean, you think back when he was on the run. Remember, he had a chance to kill King Saul. And what did he say? I'm not going to touch God's anointed. You know what David was essentially saying? I'm waiting on God's timing. He'll give me the kingdom when he knows it's right to give me the kingdom. So you think of our king. He's been anointed, proclaimed. He's won the victory. He's seated in the heavenlies. And for those who are willing to say, that's my king, he has rescued us from his present evil age. Present evil age. But remember how Paul said there's an age to come? The age to come is when that king comes to get the full kingdom. Because when Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. <laughs> there won't be one who will stand and say, I'm not going to, I'm going to fight you. No, every knee will bow. Jesus comes to claim who is own. He will judge the wicked. He will bring the new Jerusalem with him. He will restore and renew creation and he will reign for eternity. That is his fulfillment of his kingdom and it will be a kingdom of perfect righteousness but it's not here yet because he hasn't come back yet for that kingdom so what's he waiting for well what was David waiting for God's timing what's Jesus waiting for and the day and the hour only my father knows I'm content to wait because I trust my father Because I know my father. 
And I know how much my father loves and cares and desires for people. He loves me. He loves my people. He loves the world we created. When my father says it's time, I'm coming back. And my kingdom will be fulfilled. And it will be fully revealed in all of its glory. But until now, I'm going to sit on this throne and I will rule. The earth will be my footstool. There's no power. There's no authority that matches me. But I'm still going to give mankind free will. They can choose me or they cannot choose me. They could be a part of my kingdom or they could reject my kingdom. But there's a day when he's coming back. But, but what do we do? What do we do while we're waiting for the king to come back? Ah, it's so cool that he actually told us what to do. It, it's, it's called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, this is what Jesus says. He says, then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, all, this is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know what he's saying there? Hey, brothers, rest. Rest. I'm in control. There's no one greater than I'm in control. All authority, heaven and on earth, is mine. Rest. But don't rest too long. Because here's what I want you to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I'm in control, Jesus says. Now, go out and make disciples. And you're like, oh, man, that's, that's tough. That's rough. That's your command. We're not... We're not told to get together on Sunday, sing a few songs, open the Bible, and then go home for the rest of the week until next Sunday. Right? Make disciples. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, well, that's why he said what he said at the end. And surely I, the one who holds all power and authority, am with you always to the very end. He's not leaving. To the very end of the age, he's here he will always be with you until he comes to bring in the new age not like new age weird stuff but like the new his final kingdom and you say so what do i do with this i think it's simple we trust our father hey if evil is existing in this it's been defeated but if evil exists in this world heartache and heartbreak will exist with evil sadness Disease, tragedy, murder, suicide is going to exist in this evil world. But hey, take heart. Evil has been defeated. Jesus rules over all. And if our king wants to trust his father with the timing, so should we. I don't know. Would it be nice to have Jesus come back? Absolutely. But God knows best because God's waiting for someone to turn to him. We also need to obey our king. Right? The church of God cannot simply wait around for the kingdom to come. Like, oh, come on, hurry. No, we get to be a part of building the kingdom. Ha, isn't that so cool? He commissions you and me to say, go make disciples. And as we make disciples, guess what happens to his kingdom? It expands. Come on. Man, what, is, what better 
news is that we get to be a part of building the kingdom of God. You know why many Christians don't? Because we're more interested in building our kingdom. My life. My stuff. Man, it's about the king. And then we love people like Jesus did. You know, David is called a man after God's own heart. Do you know God didn't write that to make David such an example that you feel like I could never measure up to that guy? You know what he did is he took a man named John and he wrote where love comes from. We love God because, help me out, we love God because, okay. You, you know, if David had a bigger source of love for God, it would make sense why he would love God more than I could. But David doesn't have a bigger source. We both have the same source. Our source of loving God is love from God. You want to love God more? I got the answer. Read about his love. Talk about his love. Think about his love. Sing about his love. Worship him for his love. And the more you notice his love for you, the greater your love for him will become. And guess who Jesus loves? For God so loved the world. And guess who we should love? Not just as people who gather with us every Sunday, but we should love the world. Close with this. I read this this week. One of the, I think, I think it was one of the coolest things I've read in a long time. A scientific discovery. The planet Neptune. The planet Neptune was discovered before it was seen. Scientists saw that a planet, and it's going to be an unnamed planet because I used to be a youth pastor, and whenever I would say certain words with with uh, teenagers, they would all giggle and laugh, and I'd lose control. So I'm not actually going to say the name of this planet, but you might all know the name of the planet that I'm talking about because it's one of those planets that you really don't want to say the name out loud because anybody everybody looks at you. So uh, we're going to go with the unnamed planet. Can we do that? All right, good, cool, cool. So there was an unnamed planet that scientists were watching, and it had a strange orbit. The closer they watched it, the more they realized this is not acting according to the rules and the laws of science. Something is forcing this planet off its orbit. And so they, they sat back and they said, well, it must be a magnetic or gravitational field of some sort. And so they studied the orbit and they said, if our calculations are correct, there should be something right here that causes this planet to go off of its orbit. And as they studied it, they discovered the planet Neptune. They discovered a planet that they could not see because of the actions of a planet that they could see. And the man that was writing the book said, and that is what the church is supposed to be. Our actions are supposed to be so strange from the rest of the world that people look at us and go, now what's causing that? Why, why is that person who should be, be buried in grief, why are they offering peace to others? What? 
Why is that person who is being hated and talked about and being, being torn down, why are they extending love to someone? That's not the way people act. Oh, but if the church, if the church is acting in the way the church is called to act and people want to say, what's the force? What's the power behind it? And they pull back the curtain and ha! It's the person of Jesus and the power of the Spirit of God. That's what they see. That's what they should see when they look at the way we live. We should be different because it points to an unseen person and spirit through the visible people of God. Hey, this. The stages of Jesus' kingship is being revealed little by little. And one day, when, that, when those heavens open, it's on. It's on. It's going to be so good. But right now, we're living in the already but not yet time where our king rules and reigns over all things. And he's just waiting for his father to say, go get him. And when he says that, it's going to be a good day for us. In the meantime, we live with trust, just like our king does in the father. And we live with obedience to our king. And we love like our king. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much, man, for what you do and what you are doing in our lives.